Hello and welcome to the Church Society podcast. I'm Ros Clark, I'm the Associate Director of Church Society and I'm your host here on these podcasts. And as always for our monthly book review podcast, I'm joined by Amanda Robbie. Hello everyone. What have we been, what have we been reading this month, Amanda? <laughs> we have been reading a, um, a, a large paperback um, called Faithism. Why Christians and Atheists Have More in Common Than You Think by Krish Kandaya. Yes, it's interesting. It's, um, it is different from the other books we've previously read in this, in that it is the first trade paperback, I believe is the official title for this size book. Mm. And it's not my favourite, I must admit. I find it's big and the text is really big and I get irritated by books with lots of blank space around the edges. I'm just like, why, why wouldn't we just have more words? But it is a very popular uh, style of book. Um, it's also a first for us. I don't think we've previously read a book that has been blurbed on the front cover by a presenter of BBC Radio 4's Today programme. No, certainly an innovation, that. Absolutely. And actually, if you look through the list of all the people who have given blurbs, it is quite a wide-ranging and impressive list, isn't it? Yes, there's a wide range of, I think, nearly all Christian uh, uh, people who have uh, endorse this book, uh, but from a wide range, um, particularly uh, from public life, uh, yes. people involved in uh, politics. Uh, politics and, and the law mm-hmm. and academia and research. Um, so, yeah, a, a, a sort of really interesting group of people. And that sets up in, in some ways the kind of book that he is trying to write. Yeah. So although it's why Christians and atheists have more in common than you think is the subtitle, it's not just about finding things that we have in common, is it? It's a book about actually how Christians and atheists could engage. Yeah, it's about constructive dialogue and constructive engagement, practical engagement. Yes, and I think something worth pointing out is that he does throughout the book capitalise the word atheists. Mm-hmm. And he does have in mind not just anyone who kind of might say, oh, I don't believe there's a God. He's really talking about people for whom actually their atheism is a considered specific part of who they are and their worldview. Um, so people who take their atheism seriously, perhaps we might say. Yeah. Um, and, and in particular, people who might be associated with what what's often known as the new atheist movement. Mm-hmm. Um, so not just uh, sort of Dawkins and, and Hitchens and, and people in that angry, aggressive new atheism kind of school, but but certainly people... All those, those the types who would probably uh, be engaging on Justin Briley's unbelievable programme. Exactly. Uh, Sam Harris and others, I think, he quotes and exactly. engages with. Exactly, uh, people like that. And so he sets up uh, at the beginning how he's going to go about doing this. The book is um, divided most of it into 10 chapters, each of which address a different topic or, or issue. And each of those, he considers four different ways in which the Christians and the atheists might engage. So collision and collusion, contention and collaboration. Did you find that a a helpful sort of way of analysing some of those? I think it's quite a good way to set out and for us to maybe analyse how we're engaging with people. Although I think through the book, 
those categories weren't necessarily as clear that they maybe sometimes felt a bit forced because actually what you do you might collaborate with people but you might be colluding with them in some way as well so I think in in, in actual real life terms that those those categories get quite muddy yes teasing the, those out in the details each time some mm. of them it's, it's a more natural fit than others so in, in when he's looking at collision what he's really doing there I think is setting up the stereotypes mm. the stereotype that a christian has of an atheist and the stereotype that the atheist have has of the christian so for example christians are boring might be a stereotype that atheists have atheists are fun would be the mm. sort of opposition of that yeah. um and he sort of works that yes. through his chapter titles are all sort of collision summaries of uh, negative about Christians, positive about atheists. Yes, exactly. Christians are judgmental, where atheists are tolerant. Um, I quite enjoyed Christians are Bible bashers, atheists are bus bashers. Yes, very good. Allusion to the whole uh, campaigns on the side of buses a few years ago. Exactly. So having sort of set up what those stereotypes might be in the different chapters, thinking about how they collide, he then thinks about how we collude in that. And that's sort of there are two different ways of, of that collusion, I think. One is where we play into those stereotypes. And the other, I think, is often a, a collusion of silence. Yes, they, they, <clears throat> there were quite a few instances where he basically talks about how we just ignore that people are different and try to sort of do our own thing without reference to anyone yeah. else. Exactly. So we might just not engage at all yeah. with them or we might engage but never address that issue. Yeah. Um, yeah, or, or we might play into the stereotype. And obviously, those kinds of collusion don't move us on from the stereotypes. No. And in many ways, they just reinforce the stereotypes. So then the, the third way that he talks about interacting is the contention. And here he's really drawing out what the actual differences are. So not the stereotype picture necessarily, but the the more nuanced um real differences yeah. of understanding not, not the tweet view. but the proper engagement and uh, yes th- yeah there's there's that sort of going into depth about some of the issues which where we where people do differ exactly but also reminding us that it's okay to have different opinions and different ideas and we're not going to get anywhere by just attacking one yes, another's exactly we don't either have to do the thing of pretending that it's really the same mm or simply attacking somebody for thinking differently from yeah. us. And so that sort of enables him to kind of move on to the, that fourth area of collaboration. And actually, by moving to a better understanding of what we each think, how that enables a better conversation. And, and throughout the book, that does seem to be one of his primary goals is simply better understanding, better yes, kinds of and conversation. and better collaboration, particularly in public life, which is something that Krish is increasingly engaged in himself in with politicians and the wider um yeah social uh, sphere of the country public life in the country yeah so public life exactly so uh, politics and, and broadcasting and journalism and those kind of things but also in terms of social action yeah so he talks about he talks a lot in the book about his own experience in different ways but he talks about having an experience at university of reading through a gospel with someone who was an atheist and being very challenged about his own response to that to get more involved in social action yeah and um, and he's he's brought that into great action in in particular with home for good which is his 
fostering adoption um, campaign. Yeah, so one of the things that I think is very striking throughout the book, certainly was very striking to me as I read it, was this is somebody writing from experience. This is not a theoretical book for Krish in terms of how might one have better conversations with atheists. He is actually having conversations with atheists in a lot of different circumstances. Yes. Um, If I can find the page where I made a note of this, because I I was really struck. Um, Here we are. He talks about being a member of the Standing Committee for Religion and Ethics at the BBC in his work with social workers, working with journalists, working with teachers who are struggling to teach about faith as part of the national curriculum, working with aid and development charities, and working with the Home Office. Um, Here's a charity that he's founded uh, working with refugee children and has worked with the Home Office with that, uh, with politicians and with medical professionals. Um, But also in other places, he talks about just with his neighbours, with a book group that he's involved in, of people who are... His own family are are from different faith groups himself. So he's very much always been living in that uh, multicultural and different beliefs network. Yeah, so his his own family are from a different faith backgrounds and... Exactly, yes, and actually not just um, his biological family, so he grew up in a, a Hindu family, yeah. but also as a foster carer. Yes. He says, you know, our family regularly welcomes foster children from Muslim, Hindu, Christian and atheist backgrounds into mm. our home. So this is real stuff yeah. for him. This is kind of on a day-to-day basis. How do I have better conversations with all of these people who have their own ideas about what Christians might think and might be like? And yeah, and I, how do I engage with that and get past those prejudices and move forward? And you can see how, um, you know, when you're working in those kind of contexts, it is really important, not just for us to have a better understanding of how we might be perceived by atheists, but also to have a better understanding of where they are coming from in order to move those conversations forward um, in a positive sort of way. So that's what the book is setting out to do. Do we think this is a book which is fair to atheists? So I think he is hoping, as he's writing this, that this might be a book that you could give to somebody who is an atheist and maybe talk through it with them rather than just kind of handing it over saying, look, read this, um, to help them understand things too. And so he is trying to not just set out this is whereas Christians were coming from in these things, but also to try and understand yeah. and represent fairly. And, and obviously he has engaged a lot with atheist people and I think he does make a fair argument. Although we are Christians, he's a Christian. So um, I don't, and it's most of the people who've blurbed the book, who've endorsed the book are Christians. So I'm not sure what he, what his atheist friends uh, would think. I th- one of the things he says later in the book is that he's in a book group with Christians and atheists and I wonder if his book group has read this and what his atheist friends would say yes (laughs) I think that's right I mean I think I you know I have a a good number of friends who are not Christians and many of whom would strongly identify as atheists and there were one or two moments when I slightly cringed on their behalf and I think I think he's certainly tried to do a very good job and on the whole has done a very good job at being fair to those he disagrees with. I think I would still perhaps have a note of caution um, 
before giving it to somebody who was not a Christian. But that's not to say I think I wouldn't ever do that. I think there are circumstances I could imagine doing that and saying, why don't we read this together and and see if it helps us understand each other better. Yeah, and a chapter at a time, uh, particularly because it has some very excellent questions at the end of each chapter about helping people to dig out why they believe what they believe and where they're coming from. I thought it would make a very good discussion book. Um, Yes, I agree. I think there's there's a lot of things... um, I, it was interesting. So as I was reading it, the first few chapters, I did think, gosh, I don't really know where where we're going to go for the rest of the book. Are there really, you know, 250 pages worth in this? But actually, there are. And yeah. the, there are a, a good... Each chapter has a really good um, sort of worthwhile subject to, to think about yeah. and, is, and is different and is kind of, oh, actually yeah you know this is another issue as well it was it was very thought-provoking and mm. stimulating to read I, I felt I agree um so thought-provoking stimulating why do we need this book it is it's not really an apologetic book it's not really a defense of being Christian although there are some chapters which mm. feel a bit like yeah that. I, I I think it is good for Christians to read to to uh, actually following on from reading graciousness uh, last month and um, that to remind Christians of how to engage graciously particularly with those who would take an atheist line um, because it's very easy to get set ourselves up on that collision course rather than uh, learning to listen properly yes and I think that a lot of this is about learning to listen mm. And actually move beyond the stereotype. And therefore, that means not assuming that the person who calls themselves an atheist thinks and believes all the things that that other people who call themselves atheists. And not avoiding those difficult conversations, which is, it's so easy to just smile and nod when something more tricky raises its head because we don't want to collide with people. Mm. So we don't want to upset them. And we sort of, to do this what he calls colluding and avoid those conversations but that's not really good for our relationship I think there's I can't remember where he talks about it he talks about basically you don't get deep relationships if you don't really share what you truly believe no and I think that's right and I I think that is a a really telling comment on what a lot of our society is like today people talk about loneliness and lack of community and and all of those things and I think a lot of that is even when people know a lot of people, they only have shallow conversations yeah. with them. And the ability to have a meaningful conversation about stuff which is important, whether you agree or disagree about it, is something that people find very difficult yeah. and very he, uncomfortable. He talks very well in the chapter on sort of Christians are judgmental, atheists are tolerant chapter, chapter three, on uh basically tolerance is not love mm. and so we can just ignore the things that we disagree with people about and never address it and then actually we end up in some sort of relational withdrawal and i thought that was really helpful to think about yes um, very much so he speaks about love is the hospitality that welcomes others up close and personal yeah some really lovely thoughts there about what it means to truly love other people so a challenge for Christians who are called to love. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean smiling and nodding when they say something we disagree about or smiling no. and shaking our heads. But 
actually engaging yes in a deeper level yeah and and actually that that is scary and that does feel very vulnerable and it does feel risky in a friendship or family situation where where you aren't confident how that will be received Mm -hmm. but certainly my experience is when and if you can find a way to have those conversations your relationship does get transformed and become much deeper and my experience has been that often it's easier to have some of those deep and serious conversations online than face to face and there are other issues in developing serious and meaningful relationships online but but sometimes for those really hard subjects when it seems like there might be disagreement people are more willing to do that when they don't have to look you in the eye yes Um, and maybe to do it in written form rather than spoken form where you can think you can prepare it more carefully exactly and you don't have to respond in the moment you can go and you can go away and think or you don't have to respond at all yeah um you can just say no i'm I'm done with this conversation and and just knowing you've got that freedom uh maybe then helps people to actually say more than they otherwise um might have done you mentioned uh a few minutes ago amanda that you felt it followed on really nicely from last month's book on graciousness and I just had a little quote um, that I thought was very helpful on that he talks about instead of trying to discredit the beliefs of the beliefs others hold by speaking to one another with condescension disrespect or dismissive sarcasm or by not speaking to one another at all there is an alternative way forward the possibility of striving together towards the truth Mm. and I think that is one of the fundamental things that makes this whole exercise possible that serious atheists and serious Christians both are genuinely concerned for the truth. Yeah. And we ought not to feel vulnerable about that. If what we believe is true, it will hold up to any level of scrutiny. Yeah. And if it doesn't, then I don't want to believe it. Yeah. And so I think, you know, once you can find that kind of common ground that says, I'm really interested in wanting you know i believe what i believe because i think it's true but i'm interested in wanting to discover the truth that sets up a whole a tone for a whole discussion in a very different way yeah um that is not merely attacking someone for that's that's view. right and the, the the whole book illustrates and explores that that approach to yes. engaging with people who don't believe the same things as we do particularly those who have a belief that there is no god but actually, I think it also equips us for engaging with people of other faiths is that with the same sort of approach. I think that's I think that's right. I mean, I don't, and I don't think you do either. Come across all that many people in in real life who are this kind convinced of convinced atheist. Atheists. No, no. I think I think Chris's engagement in the public sphere with in that journalists and and politicians that sort of uh, sphere is is more. Uh, there'll be more new atheists in that than in our parish, which is very multicultural, multi-faith, mm. people of, of faith, but different faiths to ours. Yes, that's right. And even the, the parish where I live, which isn't quite as multicultural, multi-faith <laughs> as Amanda's, yeah. there's still a lot of sort of lingering overtones of Christianity and people who might say they don't believe in God, but I don't think there's a whole lot of people who are out there reading The God Delusion or, no, or no, those sorts of strongly. books. Um, but nonetheless, 
those people will have stereotypes about Christians, which yeah. will be quite similar to the ones in the book. Um, and we will have stereotypes about what we think they might or might not believe. Yeah, that's really helpful to... Yeah, that it, it is. This is this book is about not believing the stereotypes and exploring and asking good questions and engaging with people. So we were talking about this yesterday in terms of who we might recommend this book to. Yes. And obviously we do think it's a, a valuable book for any Christian who might be um, engaging with people they disagree with. But we also you also had another suggestion about who you thought would be useful oh, for. Oh, well, I, I actually thought it, I was as I was reading through it, I was thinking of my sons who are f- 15 and 13 and my daughter who's 17, um, who are engaging in apologetics all the time talking to people and they're that young age where actually people do really do want to talk about what they believe and I thought this was hit quite a lot of the areas in which they struggle with people um the boys particularly because uh, they seem to be having those conversations very frequently yeah Uh, I agree I I thought actually if you're somebody who's an RE teacher yeah this would be a great book to get you know kids to be reading even just you know one or two chapters from it Mm. to get them to see how you have that kind of engagement could you explain not just the stereotype of of somebody from a different faith position from you but could you then also explain the real differences and could you then work out a way of having a conversation yes we just you you suggested that you know every school should have one in its library I think so I think it's that sort of book um yeah I think for for young people, um, particularly who are interested in what is true, this would be a really good way to engage. Maybe a, you know parents could read it with their children if you if you had that sort of keen you know yeah. keen and interested children. Um, yeah, or a, a you know a youth group if you had some older teens who wanted to yeah. grapple with apologetics in the exactly. public. Exactly, and in- I think particularly uh, if they're in that situation where they've got friends or or even teachers who are staunchly committed atheists in that Mm. sort of way, this would be a really great starting point uh, for them. I had some questions. And in general, I think it's a really helpful book and I'm really glad we read it. I think I have a question about where it's going and what Krish is hoping to achieve with it. So he does have a conclusion at the end, which is only a short little conclusion, so he sort of has an I have a dream speech, which, I mean, I sort of didn't love the I have a dream knockoff speech anyway. But I also have some queries about what it is he's dreaming of and and hoping for. So the goal of the book is better conversations. What what does he seem to what do we think he thinks those better conversations will accomplish yeah, I think he is looking at a better world together, doing good together. And although that's a great aim, as Christians, the best good you can do for someone is to lead them to Christ. And obviously, if he's hoping atheists read this book, that's not necessarily going to be something he would put front and foremost. So, yeah, obviously, he's he is wanting to encourage Christians to work better alongside atheists but it yeah it doesn't seem to be yeah i think heading. i think that's right i think i mean you're right obviously because he's he is writing a book that he is hoping christians and atheists will be, will read and engage with each other and and he's trying to be very fair and balanced right and therefore it would be weird to have a conclusion that just says oh and by the way the christians are right and that's why we all need to become christians <sighs> 
I I was concerned just some of the things that he mentions here um you know I have a dream that motivated by our common mortality we will build a world safe for diversity because although we may not all believe in life after death we all believe in life before death and that's true I am unconvinced that simply having better frameworks for conversations with atheists will be able to accomplish a dream of a world that is safe for diversity because I fundamentally think that although many of the atheists I know I mean all of the atheists I know are lovely and good and kind people I just don't think that atheism creates that world yeah I don't think it creates a world of truth and peace in our relationships and and our communities I don't think it brings love and hope and freedom and justice I I think uh, in a way it's not paying attention to sin is it that's the thing is that actually if we believe that we are all inherently sinful there is still a struggle Hmm. you know we might dream about something better but actually we have to be realistic about where it's achieved. Yes, I think that's right. And the, there's a, a confidence in humanity here, which strikes me as more humanist than Christian, if one were really pushing it hard. And I, I don't want to say I think Chris thinks that. No. Um, and I'm conscious of the, the context in which he's writing, the audience he's writing. But I think I perhaps, I think perhaps he does have slightly more confidence in the this project and what it might accomplish than than I do um and that was my nervousness yes I I mean I I do think there is work to be done on this Mm. project that he has to for for Christians you know if we call Christians to be better at these conversations um that that is you know I think that the Lord wants us to be better at these conversations I agree Uh, whether he's can be effectively calling atheists to be better at these conversations is a different question. Yes, um, yes. And it will be, um, well, it will be, yes, I don't know what impact uh, this book has, but I'm sure he himself, being in those contexts uh, yeah. and being the person that he is and modelling this, I am sure is having an impact yeah. uh, on all kinds of people. Yeah. The, the work he's doing in the, in the public sphere is, is very encouraging. And um, yeah, and it, it's good to read about some aspects of that in this book as well. That was, it, it is a very personal book in, in strange ways. And I thought that was, it made it much, it's not a sort of dry academic book about arguing well or conversing well. It is a, it's a, yes. it's a good, it's a good read. It really is. And, and as you say, it's a, somebody writing about something which he is clearly putting into practice. And, mm-hmm. and that was very encouraging. Next month, uh, in our book review slot, uh, we are having what is now our annual Christmas gift guide. Uh, so we will be surveying a number of new releases for both adults and children, for Christians and things you might give to people who are not Christians. It will be going out mid-November, so we will also have a couple of Advent recommendations. So do tune in again for that. Looking forward to it. <laughs>